Hi, I'm Jay Harris, and you are listening to the Monarchist Podcast. Hope you enjoy it. I'm Mike. And I'm Aaron. And you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. Today, we are welcomed by author Jay Ingram. He is the author of Monarchs, a book about Old Dominion baseball, specifically the Bud Matheny era. And we are also joined by ODU Hall of Famer and ODU baseball alum, Wayne Parks. Thank you both for joining us. and Welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. Fellas, welcome to the show. But I want to start off first. We're here to talk about the book. We're here to talk about the foundations of Old Dominion baseball. Jay, obviously, the book is great. Thanks for sharing it with Mike and I. Could you let Monarch Nation know exactly why you decided to write this book? Absolutely. Uh, Aaron, if I was going to be honest with you, it's just to make sure that my parents got their money's worth for the history degree that they paid for uh, in 1993 for me. Hopefully, I accomplished that part of it. But I am from Virginia Beach. Both my parents went to Old Dominion College, where they started when it was the Norfolk Division of William & Mary. There was, there was just a lot about the history there, even though I was from Virginia Beach, that I just didn't know. To me, growing up, born in 1970, Old Dominion was always there. You know, it was always a big school. That was the local school. My dad played baseball. He played for Bud Matheny, uh, but I didn't know anything about Bud Matheny. I didn't really know anything about the William & Mary college system. I didn't know that Old Dominion had been part of William & Mary. I didn't know there was a whole system there. VCU used to be part of William & Mary at the same time. The project interested me really just learning about the area that I'm from and uh, and really found out a whole lot of fascinating things, honestly, about Old Dominion, about the baseball program. Uh, got to meet those teams, those championship teams from the early and mid-1960s, uh, like Wayne. Really, for me, it's been a great experience. Tell us a little bit more about your dad. Uh, what, what position did he play and how how did he keep in contact with his uh, former teammates? Um, my dad was a pitcher. He was on the team from 1960 to 1964. Coach Bud Matheny talked him out of going to East Carolina, basically by talking to my grandfather and suggesting that Old Dominion might be the better choice or the Norfolk Division at the time. But he played on the ball team for four years, and he was a big Yankees fan at the time. And if you get into the story of the book there, the team, what I'm, what I'm calling one of the best Old Dominion baseball teams, they won the NCAA uh, regional at Yankee Stadium. My dad got the mumps, and even though he was a huge Yankee fan, he never got to go to Yankee Stadium with the team. So he missed out on that. For him, it was a great experience. Um, and and I, actually, I probably should have said right off the bat that you, you asked me why did I write this book. Well, actually... The end result of the book is every copy sold, every bit of the proceeds is going to go to a baseball scholarship at Old Dominion in my parents' name. So my dad actually passed away in October of 2020, but the book was still under development. I didn't ever think I'd really make a ton of money at it anyway. I wasn't going to retire from my job, but it was nice to be able to honor my dad and I really both my parents by setting up a scholarship at Old Dominion and using this book to fund it. And how he kept up with the with the team over the years, I'm not sure that he was the best at that. Wayne, you can ask Wayne about that because Wayne was the co-captain and one of the stars of the team. 
Well, that's a great segue because I was going to ask Wayne, you and John played together, I'm guessing. Can you talk a little bit about that and uh, share that with Monarch Nation? Yeah, certainly. Um, like Jay said, I was in the early 60 years. I was uh, one of the co-captains along with Bob Walton. Uh, he was our one of our two really star pitchers. Holds a lot of records at Old Dominion still, along with Fred Edmonds. Jay first approached me about, I guess it's been six years in the making, and it, Jay, more or less. And uh, I yep. met with his dad and Jay and Jay's mom in Gloucester, Virginia, and they, they pitched the idea to me. And they called on me but because of being a co-captain. I had kept up with most of the guys and could reach out to them with contacts and so forth. And uh, back in those days, um, most of the people that like to play ball in the area, we were playing high school ball and we'd play American Legion ball during the summertime. And uh, then there was a Norfolk City League too that continued until 1966, semi-pro team, and a lot of us played in that as well. So just just through those kind of things, we all knew each other from playing ball and so forth. Now, Wayne, I'm interested, how often do you get back to campus? And can you talk to us about how campus has changed since you were a student? At oh, absolutely. I'm still very uh, much in tune with, with Old Dominion and the university, and I have season basketball tickets and season football tickets and and uh, follow baseball as well. So I uh, still know a lot of people, very in tune with, with all the people there and so forth, and look forward to it. I was out of the area from 1973 and then moved back around 1990 to the area. I was out of the area all that time on business. But since I moved back to the area, I've reconnected with a lot of the old guys. And we, we've, we still have eight or nine of us that are still walking and talking and can move on our own. We Unfortunately, we've lost two or three of the guys just since Jay started the book, including his dad. But we, we all still keep up and have a meeting, get together for lunch uh, now and then and uh, talk about the times. And those were some of the best times of our lives, that's for sure. And the campus has changed tremendously. I mean, when we played before, uh, as Jay says in the book and describes it quite well, we played at Larchmont Field right across from Hampton Boulevard. And um, Bud was the only coach. There was no assistant coaches. Everybody packed their own gear for away games and took it with you. We did have a team manager. Uh, we traveled by, in my freshman year, we, we had like two or three vans, and Bud asked me to even drove my personal car during basketball season and baseball. Uh, so we, we'd have no transportation, but uh, they, were, they were all good times, and I still keep up with a lot of the guys. I think a lot of folks don't realize is you not only played baseball, but you played basketball as well. That must have kept you quite busy. Well, that's true. Uh, back then, freshmen could play when I started. I started 60 season for basketball, 61 season for baseball, and played four years there. And, uh, yeah, I can remember as soon as basketball was over, we would start throwing in the next day in the gym, uh, same gym, when we practiced basketball, but would have us throwing for our arms and doing three ball drills to strengthen our legs and that sort of thing. And then we'd go out to... Always well, usually a very, very cold February field of 
practicing when we finally did get outside. RJ, so obviously there's a lot of information in this book that people can learn. I'm really interested in learning more about Bud Matheny from this book. Really interesting character, pretty much doing everything in Old Dominion. Also the last Yankee to ever wear Babe Ruth's number. Fantastic stuff in the book. What was the one thing that you learned while writing this or researching for this book that you were shocked to learn? Yeah, good question. And honestly, it's probably not one thing. It's probably the, the developing thesis in the book. And, and that really is that um, I feel like Wayne and his teammates and Coach Bud Matheny are really, really should be uh, credited as, I know it'll sound overly dramatic, but um, credited as, practical architects of the uh, or at least co-architects of the university as it is today because the Norfolk division of William and Mary or yeah Norfolk division of William and Mary became Old Dominion in 1962 and this baseball team was winning championships and through the power of the internet today I can look and see where the team was making news and the team was in newspapers in Hawaii and Nevada and of course they're playing in Yankee Stadium and one of the things I mentioned in the book is that and nothing builds a university and nothing binds alumni to a university like a successful athletic program. And uh, the example I use is, is Frank Beamer. I went to Tech, Virginia Tech, in the late 90s, and <clears throat> I saw before they had a successful program, and now I live in Roanoke, so I'm, I'm in Blacksburg pretty routinely, and I see the way it's exploded. Well, Old Dominion is pretty much the same way. You know, if you think back to the 60s, um, how does it become a 25,000-student university or thereabouts? Uh, Coach Matheny, a Yankee coming into town, a World Series champion. Um, he has, there's not much competition for baseball talent in the Hampton Roads area, so he's dominant in the recruiting. He's putting together teams of elite athletes. Um, and, you know, he's got all Americans. He's got Jim Zadell. You know, that's making news. Um, he has Bob Walton. He has Fred Kovner. He has Fred Kovner getting drafted right after Johnny Bench in 1965 and before Tom Seaver and Nolan Ryan. Um, Bud Matheny himself, National Coach of the Year, uh, after the 1964 season. To me, all these things compound. Um, and so how does, how does a fledgling college get the name recognition? How does it become that huge 25,000-student university? And to me, that's, what, that's one of the things I'm saying. It really is the influence of Coach Matheny and those elite baseball teams. Yeah, Jay, definitely want to dive more into that. Let's take a quick step back just a little bit. And we don't want to give away all the goodness in the book because we want people to buy it and we want people to read it. I really found it really interesting, even before Bud, when we're talking the 1930s and the 1940s, could you just briefly give folks a snapshot of kind of what was happening with the school and the program? Obviously, there's a lot of history. You being a history major, um, it was a long time ago. So I don't think folks really realize exactly how world events were shaping what local things were going on. So if you could share just a little bit uh, to get people interested about that. Absolutely, sure. I'll cover that kind of briefly. But first of all, maybe uh, a tip of the cap to the Old Dominion Library because it's amazing what they have there. And I mean, the, the, the book, um, I, I can't say it wrote itself because I did have to do some writing, but all the information that I could ever need for it was right there. They have all the, the school newspapers going back to 1930. They have all the yearbooks. They have all of Bud Matheny's handwritten scorebooks. So just a real wealth of information there. 
they also have, they had an archivist, Dr. James Sweeney, who had interviewed a lot of the key figures in Old Dominion's early history. And so the um, Old Dominion Library actually has uh, audio, in, or audio and transcribed interviews from Coach Matheny, Lewis Webb, and so on. That's where I'd start first. I mean, there's just so much information, and uh, the library has done a great job with that stuff. Uh, but it, the Old Dominion starts as a two-year school, purely a commuter school. There was no dorms at Old Dominion until 1965. So you're talking about a two-year school. You're talking about a commuter school, basically a community college. So the team, to be competitive in sports, was playing local high schools. They were playing Mari in baseball. They were in a league, Tidewater Scholastic League, with local high school teams. And um, that stayed pretty true through a big part of the 30s. And then, of course, you got into World War II years, and that pretty much drained the university of male students. So there was a couple of years where there was no baseball program. And when there was a baseball program, you know, they were primarily playing local Navy teams uh, at the time. And so that, that's kind of the early part of the uh, of the program. And you got into 50s, and, you, and in the 50s, you started seeing a lot of changes. So in 1955, they started, the, the school started a four-year program, so that obviously benefits the baseball program. They got included into the Little Eight uh, shortly thereafter, into the NCAA, and then in the early 60s, the Mason-Dixon Conference. So you saw a lot of changes start happening in the 50s um, that really helped I would have to say it helped Coach Matheny really recruit that stable of elite athletes. All right, Wayne, we don't want to leave you out of here because you're in this too. Obviously, you were on some amazing baseball teams at Old Dominion. I'm more interested in learning about the differences between the type of equipment you guys were using back then versus now. We know they have the aluminum bats. They have these beautiful gloves. What were you guys using back then? Well, back then we used uh, wooden bats. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, two or three of us on the team, I was one of them, we even used Bud Matheny's Louisville autograph model bat. He was, you know, he could still order them. And uh, it was just a bat that felt felt good in my hands anyway. But yeah, we, we used wooden bats in as we did in high school and playing in the city league. Our gloves were, were uh, just, a good, just as good a quality as anybody playing in pro ball, but uh, we had to furnish our own gloves and our own shoes. Uh, Bud did have some uh, really nice uh, Yankee pinstripe uniforms that we were all proud of and wore. And uh, but the equipment was fine. It, you know, it, it wasn't anything other. I just had one sidebar. I, I thought I'd throw in too. I grew up a big Yankees fan as well, and I did so because my uh, grandmother. Uh, used to rent rooms when the Norfolk Tars were here back in the days uh, just after the war and all. She, she used to rent rooms doing, doing the uh, minor league season and spring training. She, would, she rented rooms to like Phil Rizzuto and Yogi Berra and people like that. So I grew up, remember watching my first World Series on TV in the 50s. And back in the 50s, it was always Yankees and Dodgers usually. And I'd go over and watch the World Series because they were day games in with grandmother, but that, that's how I grew up a Yankees fan as well and really enjoyed the, the whole Yankee atmosphere and the trip trip there as well. But the equipment was, was fine, Mike. But we had to be careful with it because 
Bud didn't like you breaking a lot of bats, that's for sure, because we were on a very limited budget. Yeah, there was a lot of awesome baseball here in the area between the TARS and then just those military teams reading the book. Right. People need to read the book and realize uh, exactly the goodness that was going on here in the local area with baseball. Oh, Wayne, you went to Mari. You're a Mari graduate. And we were talking about lots of local talent. Right. So Mike was curious about the equipment and the differences. So we see a lot with regards to recruiting these days. How did you end up at Old Dominion? Uh, Bud actually saw me play City League games at night. I was playing off of City League at night when I was in high school. I started playing in the City League when I went along with Bruce Howard, who was a pitcher at that time from Norfolk Catholic and later signed with the White Sox. And we started playing in the Norfolk City League when we were 15. And so I played a lot of games there. And uh, Bud would come out and uh, watch games at night. And he would see a lot of the local talent then because primarily it was just talent from Norfolk, uh, Virginia Beach, uh, Hampton, and Newport News. That, that made up most of our team, people from those areas. We'd get an occasional one or two from Eastern North Carolina. But, but that was, that was a, and it was plenty of players to play in from, from that part. All right, so Jay made note of your high batting average and in the notes he gave us. You almost hit 400 your freshman year, which is pretty spectacular. Uh, but I'm more interested in Bud Matini as a coach and a friend and a mentor. What was your favorite thing about being able to play for Bud? Hey, Bud was a great, great coach and a great person and just a great human being. He was uh, terrific to play for. And... Um, he had a lot on his plate, but as, as the book points out back then, uh, he coached uh, several sports. And then uh, right at the beginning of um, when he was coach, started to take over the basketball team, he became the athletic director when the current athletic director, Scrap Chandler, retired. So he was also athletic director, baseball and basketball coach. And... When Scrap retired, he was also in charge of the whole physical ed education department of the studies part and, and that sort of thing, the college grades and all. He had his plate full, but uh, he, Bud was an easy guy to play for and the like, and uh, uh, he very seldom had any discipline problems. You, you'd always have a few characters like you do on any team, but... Uh, but as, as a team, Bobby Walton and I would talk to guys, and uh, so we never had any real bad problems where we had to throw guys off the team or anything like that. But, but Bud was real easy to play for, and he was well liked, well respected in the community, and and uh, most people learned a lot of good traits from Bud, other than playing sports for him as well. So this question can be for both Jay and for Wayne. Obviously, coaches have a lot of responsibility on the fields, on the court, more so even as leaders of men and women that are playing for them. So our current coaches recently have had to lead their players through COVID, through various things that we've seen in the news. But in the early 1960s, the later 1960s, there were all kinds of things going on. Vietnam, the JFK assassination, different sorts of things. Jay and Wayne, can y'all talk a little bit about how Bud led you guys through those particular times because it was a very uh 
um, precarious moment in time in a lot of different ways. Um, Jay, you want me to jump on that first? Please go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, one thing I think that they kept the guys close and everything was uh, back then, we everybody pretty much lived at home. The, the first dormitory, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't built at Old Dominion until 1966. And so uh, most of our guys got out in either 64 or 63 on those teams, or 65 rather. Uh, most of them graduated. We had one Ron Kilman that graduated in 63 who transferred from William and Murray. But uh, so it's not like it is now, you know, where guys room together and they have whole basketball teams, football teams, and, and one, uh, one big dorm where they study, they practice, and all of that. Basically, we came to school, did our schoolwork, went to practice, and then went home at night. I just mentioned the four areas, which were all drivable. We all talked about that sort of thing at home and, and as a team, but it wasn't, um, and during the day, but it, it wasn't really, never was a problem where it was all consuming, but we all talked about that, that sort of thing. Jay, you have something you like to add? Sure. I'll, I'll add, of course, I didn't live it um, the way Wayne did. It's uh, pretty obvious what some of the social forces were going on at that time and it's pretty amazing what as i was doing this research i'm looking at I mean, you're very right vietnam um, members of the team went to vietnam here comes beetlemania 1964 the president gets assassinated and race relations is something to mention too a lot of high school kids in norfolk rather than integrate schools the virginia governor at the time said we're going to lock these we're going to lock these schools instead so there was, I can't remember the number now, it's in the book, 10,000 kids maybe that got locked out of school because the, the governor was um, refused to allow the schools to integrate. That blows your mind when you think about that today. That's where we were as a nation and locally. But all those things um, were kind of swirling around these early 60s teams. Uh, and that, that's another thing that's kind of amazing. Uh, here's a team that goes out and wins 88% of its game. I mean, it's, it, in 1964, so they were really able to obviously focus and block all that out, um, and uh, and have a pretty amazing year, uh, several amazing years. I, to go back to Bud Matheny just a little bit, I say talking about he had uh, so much on his plate. This is one thing, Mike. You asked earlier is what earlier is what kind of surprised me. It kind of surprises me now that I'm uh, we're getting into talking about this. How many things he had on his plate. Because if you see in that book, he started coaching Old Dominion. He was still playing pro ball in town. Wayne mentioned the Norfolk City League. For a while, Coach Massini was also managing a Norfolk City League team in the summer. Wayne mentioned he was athletic director besides being a coach. You know, the newspaper, you can find all kinds of events where Coach Massini, he was talking to the Norfolk Sports Club or the Peninsula Sports Club or whatever. Really just amazing that he had that much energy and that much time to be such a fixture in Norfolk and really raise the profile of the school. Yeah. I might add one thing too, Jay, when you were talking about uh, when, when the president was assassinated and Jay did a fine job in a book of talking about the different team members and how we all remembered as, as I'm sure uh, everyone does that was involved with that that day, but we all remember distinctly where we were the time of day. For example, I was uh, teaching, uh, doing my student teaching part uh, at that time at Blair Junior High School, 
and it came in between periods and the afternoon shot. You know, you know, junior high, high school kids carrying on. I didn't pay any attention to it at first, but then, then I found out it was for real, and that was just a surreal moment. Remembering that, Dave points out a lot of the guys they 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 remember exactly where they were when all this was going on. Wayne, the guys on the squad have been hitting home runs like you can just buy them at 7-Eleven. It's been amazing. Talk to us about the kind of the brand of baseball that you guys played in the early 60s for Bud. Yeah, well, it was it was different then, and we talked a little bit about the wooden bats, and uh, to give put a little perspective on it, well, we all used wooden bats during that time, and the first time I ever picked up an aluminum bat uh, at all was at an old-timers game I had come back to participate in. And uh, we were taking some BP before the actual old-timers game. And I couldn't believe how the ball just jumped off of that bat. We said, wow, we wish we'd have had those back then and so on and so forth. But um, the bat does make a difference. But they, they've gone to the aluminum bats for, for fairly uh, financial reasons in colleges and so forth. You don't have so many broken bats and, and that big expense. But... Uh, that really is uh, a big difference, and, and the ball gets on everybody a lot quicker. Um, but basically, the game is, was the same in aluminum bats or wooden bats. It's just you you played at the time, you played against who you played against, and um, our team was just took every game as a challenge, and we just, just we'd get behind, and we never never felt like our team did. And we had, I think, it's six nine. 1963, the first seven guys. I think we had a team average in the 320s for a batting average, 63 team. And uh, the first seven guys in the lineup were either hitting 400 or 300. And uh, that was a year. Jimmy Zadell hit like 422, the right fielder, and made All-American, had a great year. But um, but whatever the equipment was and whoever the teams are, everybody wants to compare teams and eras. You know, you all you can do is... is play against who you played against at that time and do the best you can do. All right, Wayne. In these day and age, the scouting on the other teams you're playing is all available to these players. They know where the pitchers are going to be trying to pitch them, how fast they're pitching, uh, the hitting on the other team, how they're going to field. When you were going to face another college, what did you know about that team heading into the game? We didn't really know much of anything. Um, but we had we just had two. And Bob Walton, he was a career leader in shutouts at Old Dominion. Had eight shutouts and a real low ERA in the ones. Fred Edmonds. And Bob was a pitcher's pitcher. He didn't have any fastball, but he changed speeds, and he had one of the best curveballs I've ever batted against. And uh, Fred Edmonds was the other way around. He, and Bud would usually start Bobby. And if we were playing two games that day, he'd usually start Bobby first with all his slow stuff because he had pinpoint control, too. And then he'd bring in Freddie, who had, who could really throw it hard. And um, But I guess our guys had played so much ball that between uh, high school and then in the summers, we'd go run into American Legion. And then and all the guys on the team, uh, most of them, we're also playing city league in the summertime, so that that you know that was against former pro players and uh, some really good caliber uh, competitions. So, so we were really, when you look at that, we we were really 
seasoned players when we got to college, we were playing against all that different kind of competition and so forth. And um, so we didn't worry so much about them because we didn't have many anyway, scouting reports and so forth and things like that. We just felt like we could compete. We took took the field and we went between the lines. We felt like we were going to win every game, literally. And we were surprised when we didn't. So, Wayne, obviously, Bud having been a Yankee, did you guys ever have any surprise visits from uh, any players up north that you guys kind of like really looked up to? Uh, no, not really. But one sidebar from our trip in uh, 1964 when the team, the first year the team played uh, in Yankee Stadium, when we got there, it was eight teams in a tournament. Of course, the Yankees were on a away game series, so Yankee Stadium was available. And they still had the same clubhouse manager. <clears throat> he was still a Yankee clubhouse manager, the same one when Bud was playing. So Bud got him to open up the Yankees dressing room just for the old Dominion team. This was when Whitey Ford was playing and Mickey Mantle and people like that. And we all got just the old Dominion team got to walk through there and so forth and see that. And I, I remember to this day, Mickey Mantle being one of my favorites. I counted he had five spares of five pairs rather of spikes that he left here. I don't know how many he had with him, you know. Back then, you know, if we had one pair of spikes, it lasted the whole season. So that was really an impressive thing to see. But that was really impressive. And then, uh, of course, I graduated in 64, but the following year, after we'd won two, the two um, championships in a row, uh, the the guys that were juniors on the 64 team went back, and they still had the nucleus of a good team. And made the semifinals and lost in a very close game. Uh, that would have been three years in a row. But they got to go back to Yankee Stadium that, that next year or some of them. But that was just quite an experience. Uh, and growing up a Yankees fan, getting to play third base in Yankee Stadium, I'll always remember that. So, Jay, you were, you're going to add something after before that last question from Aaron. I was, yeah. Uh, Mike, you had asked how much knowledge did the Norfolk Division or Old Dominion guys have about have about their opponents going into it. Um, one game that kind of stands out to me when you asked that question, they played a preseason game against Penn State. And I can't remember now if that was a 1963 or 1964 season. Um, but Penn State, that's university division. So at the time, it was university or college division. Smaller schools were college division. It wasn't the division. One, two, three. The College World Series, that was the university division. Penn State had participated in the College World Series the year before. So you're talking about one of the premier big schools coming to town. Um, and the boys from Norfolk made it. 50 years later, 60 years later, I interviewed everybody from the, the, the early 60s team that I could. I interviewed them. And, you know, I've donated that to the Old Dominion Library, too. I don't think they're posted yet. But I'm asking Frank Zadell. Do you remember beating Penn State on the double in the ninth inning? He's like, no, I don't even remember those guys. Uh, Ask Fred Kovner. You remember playing Penn State? That was a pretty impressive team. He says, do we play Penn? Do we play Penn State? I don't even know. They were just teams. We went out and beat them. And pretty much everybody I asked about that Penn State, they don't even remember Penn State. Not impressed by Penn State. And it's just like what Wayne said. It's an attitude of, uh, you know, let's get between the lines and whatever you got, let's see it. Uh, let's play ball. You're, you're right, Jay. I, I, I remember that, uh, too. Now that you brought it up, I didn't remember the time they'd played in the College World Series and so forth. I don't believe any on the team did, but uh, 
and everybody by nature's Jay did a great job of, of documenting every single game of the 63-64 uh, Eastern Regional Championship teams. But for a lot of us, our freshman year being 61 and 62, those two teams, when we were little eight and then got into Mason-Dixon Conference, leading up to the 63-64 teams, our combined record that year was like 34-9, I read in the book. I didn't realize it was that, that good for 61 to 62 as well. All right, Wayne, so I've got kind of a fun question here. Playing the last couple extra finnings podcast with uh, Coach Finwood, they talked a little bit about snacks and things that the players eat in the dugout, what is fueling all those home runs and Surprisingly to a lot of folks, they've got some fruit, you know, which you, you might think, but then they've got this array of junk food like oatmeal cream pies and other things like that. What kind of things did you guys have that kind of fueled you when you were going to play a game? The answer to that would be whatever you happen to bring with you that day if you brought something from home, because about all we got was 2 to $3 for meal money when we were on a road game, away game, if it was like doing basketball season or something or, or baseball. But uh, usually the teams fed us when we got to where we were playing on away games. But um, in basketball, sometimes we get a snack after the game because you couldn't eat so much before. But it was limited what Bud's budget was. It was, I can't remember exactly, but it was like 2 to 3 $4. For, you'd spend that after a basketball game or whatever. But no, we didn't have anything to snack on during the games, and I don't remember food ever being a part of it between games either. All right, Wayne. So Jay noted that your nickname was Sparky. Is that nickname derived from how much of a stolen base threat you were? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a big joke, right? Oh, uh, I, I never, I never had, had any real natural running speed that was average at best as far as running speed uh but uh, one year i was the second leading base dealer on the team behind fred kovner who was he was all everything he was a five tool player but fred would always bat lead off because he was so fast and i always hit in the number two spot because i like to hit the right field and hit behind the runner and that sort of thing a lot of times Fred would be on third base about to get a single to right or something like that, and I'd be on first. And Or Fred would be, if he stopped on second, but, but had to, just a late steal play. It's like if if uh, Fred Kovner was on second and I was on first, um, I would break towards second base and Fred would start towards third and deliberately get caught, deliberately get caught and hung up. And uh, Fred would always make it a third base, and then I could coast in the second as, as the tail end of a double steal. That's about the only way I had. And I told the guys kiddingly, Bud used to always kid me about it. I was a really good drag bunner for a right-handed batter, but then I couldn't beat him out nine times out of ten, so I quit doing it. And one day, one day after I did it, I came back to the bench, and Bud calls me over and says, Wayne, I don't mind you carrying that piano to first base. Just don't stop and play it, though. <laughs> All right, Aaron lost his audio, but that, that, that's a great story. Kick out of that. <laughs> that's a great story. Don't play the piano at first base. So you mentioned speed. We were talking about power earlier. 
I know you had great pitching. You had a fantastic hitting average. So were you guys mainly a hit-run sort of team? No, not part of it. But thank you for asking. We, we had a high batting average. Were we a hit-and-run team? Uh, no, not at all. We had guys that uh, uh, hit home runs. And, of course, they, they don't hit home runs like they do now. Then uh, our fence was like 350, more or less, all around chain leg fence and like at um, Larchmont and with the wooden bats, you always had a lot of wind out there. But no, we had guys, we, we hit a lot of doubles, triples too, and home runs. Uh, no, we, we, we weren't just a singles and doubles team more or less. But when, when you get a chance to look at the stats in the book, um, you'll see some of them. Jay, it compiled the uh, stats on every person for 63 team, 64 team. And uh, he did an amazing job on writing it. And um, D- Jay touched on it briefly, but I, anybody listening, it, it's a really good read. It's not just about the championship baseball teams, but in-depth about Bob Matheny and what went on during those years and so forth. And um, Jay is donating um, uh, all of the profits from the book uh, go directly back into this endowed scholarship he's endowed after name it after his mom and dad uh, so any books that are sold because all the money goes goes right back in to the uh, scholarship that's a good lead in for jay jay why don't you let people know before we get too far into this uh where they can buy the book yep absolutely um the best place probably to buy it is mascotbooks.com and then they have a section that says bookstore the way the pricing is, and so Wayne said all the profits will go to the scholarship. True, but actually all the proceeds are going. So even, you know, any cost that I had up front, any book that sells, uh, the money that I make from that um, is 100% of it's going to go to the scholarship. I'm bringing that up, making that distinction, because there's actually a little bit of different um, amounts. If somebody buys a book from Mascot Books, I'm going to get the purchase price minus 15%. That's, and then that's all going to go to the scholarship. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, what have you. But but instead of like nineteen bucks going to the scholarship, it's probably going to be more like twelve or thirteen. So the best place where I'm directing people to go is Mascot Books and hit the bookstore link. Jay got a first run of books for for the bookstores ever got them, and we've sold sold a lot of them like that at different events. And I still have. Uh, several of those copies on hand as well. I'll be at a lot of Old Dominion baseball games, too, and I'll have some books with me, too, going to the games this year and that sort of thing. But if anybody wanted to get up with me about a book, uh, just uh, feel free to give my phone number and, and or my email, and I'll, I'll contact them. Or just let Herbie trim you know. Everybody knows Herbie, and he'll get up with me. Yeah, that's true. Well, you heard him, folks. If, if you want to get a book, either go to Mascot Books, Google Mascot Books, go to their website and find the book on there. Or find Herbie Trimmer or Wayne Parks at the Bud and tell them you want a book. Get this money back to the the athletic program in Mr. Ingram and his mother's name. And let's make this book a success. It's, It's a great resource to learn more about Old Dominion and its history. I can't recommend it enough. It it really is, Mike. And we'll we'll make sure to put the links in the show notes as well. And when we share this out on social media, 
we'll make sure to put it there and make it really easy for anybody in Monarch Nation to find and get this book because you got to get it. You just have to. You're missing out. Awesome. And, and anybody that buys it from Wayne, we're in a little bit of a uh, informal competition. Wayne is my number two salesman right behind me, uh, but he's making a push. He's got silver, silver medal easily in hand. And he's pushing for the gold. Well, we're going to send people his way, and we hope to uh, maybe to make him gold here soon with baseball season. have a lot of home games left this year. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. We're so thankful to have you and be able to talk to you about this great program and this great book and learning more about these 60 squads that you got to play on, Wayne. Thank you. Thank, thank you. You guys, both of y'all, too, for what you're doing with your podcast. Dominion. It's our pleasure. We're just huge fans and doing anything we can to give back to the school, the student athletes, and continue to push Old Dominion forward. Thank you guys. Really appreciate you having us on. Go Monarchs. All right. Go Monarchs. Amen to that.